Helix mattresses have been recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Everybody is unique, and everyone sleeps differently. That's why Helix has several different mattress models to choose from, each designed for specific sleep positions and feel preferences. So how will you know which Helix mattress works best for you and your body? You can take the Helix Sleep Quiz and find your perfect mattress in under two minutes. And your personalized mattress is shipped straight to your door free of charge. Helix knows there's no better way to test out a new mattress than by sleeping on it in your own home. That's why they offer a 100-night trial and a 10-15 to year warranty to try out your new Helix mattress. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash drink. That's helixsleep.com slash drink. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Are you the type of person who loves to treat yourself? You know, sometimes you just want to buy yourself a coffee, a fancy coffee. Sometimes you want to get a little extra legroom on the plane. You know what I mean? So if you ever treat yourself to the top options, other places like that, then why are we settling when we're finding a doctor? I know it's easy to fall into that rut, but your health is so important. Enter ZocTalk. ZocTalk is a place where you can find and book tens of thousands of top tier doctors, all with verified patient reviews. ZocTalk is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. There's no more waiting awkwardly on hold with a receptionist. You know we hate that. And these doctors all have verified reviews from actual real patients. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance, which is so helpful. You can see who's located near you and who's available and who can treat basically any condition you're searching for. Plus, a typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between just 24 to 72 hours. That's it. You can even score same-day appointments. When I moved to LA years ago, I discovered ZocDoc because I was so tired of having to call all these different offices and wait. It took hours sometimes to figure out which doctor in town could help me and which one took my insurance, but not anymore with ZocDoc. I was able to find everything from a psychiatrist to a GI doctor, and I did that all through ZocDoc, and the app has only gotten better over time. I still use it. I still love it. I always recommend it to people, whether you have phone anxiety like me or not. It couldn't get easier to find a doctor with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com slash drink and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash drink. ZocDoc dot com slash drink. Okay, welcome to the show. I didn't know how to start. I thought that was nice. I liked it. Can you imagine if I was like on a stage? That would just be like, I okay. Do you know what it is? To the show. It's your what? third grade play. <laughs> Hello, mom and dad. I'm at the play. I, I think I've told this, you this before, but as a kid, the way that I would have like on a at a play, if I was in it, I would just put my entire shirt over my head. I'm pretty sure I, you told the story three weeks ago on the podcast. Okay, yeah, because if I couldn't <laughs> see them, they couldn't see me. And so now when I think of even my third grade play, I'm like, oh God, was I shirtless? I'm confused. Yes, I'm sure you were, <laughs> which is great. <laughs> anyway, welcome to And That's Why We Drink, where maybe we're shirtless. Uh, well, maybe I just go, not. I don't speak English. And they're like, I mean, okay, just sit down, I guess. And then you don't have to participate. <laughs> just the naked kid and the kid who just refuses to speak, you know. We're, we're meant to be. I used to be, I did the nativity one year um, <gasps> for school and I got to be the the innkeeper and I had to wear all these rags. <laughs> <laughs> 
like the really cute popular girl got to be like Mother Mary and then like everybody got these like great parts and then I got to be like the ratty innkeeper who was wearing burl a literal burlap my mom had to sew a burlap sack <laughs> around my body um so that was I- nice I uh I remember having to play a lot of trees in my day. Yeah, there was a lot of I was an owl once. Yeah, a lot of like <laughs> objects. <laughs> How are you, Christy? Do you have a reason to drink this week? Oh and my gosh. What are you drinking? It's it's yeah. the afternoon there. You could get crazy if you want. It's wanted. only 1:30, so I'm drinking freaking ga- I'm in a weird Gatorade kick lately. I don't know why. I go through phases. Um hmm. I was in a sparkling water phase. I'm over it now. I'm in Gatorade now. Um, yeah, it's a little too early to drink, only because if I drink this early, then by like 6 p.m. I'm like cranky and miserable and want to go to bed. So I like to ex- extend it so that I can go to bed after the drinking. You know what I mean? Go to bed on the buzz. On the buzz. That's right. Uh, what is, what's your go-to Gatorade flavor? I love all the the frosts, you know? Oh, love we did the purple talk about frost. This. Yeah, we've had this conversation uh, literally two weeks ago, but... But yes, anyway, why do you drink? I don't I don't really have a reason except that it's like finally 75 degrees every day here. It's gorgeous. They reopened the dog park. It's beautiful. We donated a little, we donated some money to open the dog park and they have a brick in front of the dog park that says Geo and Juniper and it has like a little design on it that I made. That's um, so sweet. <laughs> so we're very embedded in our new neighborhood now is what I'm saying. But Jeez. yeah, wait, why, <laughs> why do you drink? <laughs> Uh, Because I'm not very invested in my dog park, and also it's not 75 (laughs) degrees here, and I still have not been vaccinated, so I'm just like... Oh, man, your life sucks. (laughs) I'm just like living in the past over here. Anyway, that's why I drink. Um, I I don't think I have a legitimate reason, like a super legitimate reason. Um, Once your reason was that like you were like tired, so I think... Uh, once your reason was that your glasses you had to buy new glasses like your your reasons aren't always quote-unquote legitimate but i yeah usually the reason i drink is out of mere inconvenience inconvenience but i I will say the the escape room is going very well a lot of people have been reaching out from i mean by the time people hear this i won't be doing it anymore but for this whole week i've been um taking several hours a day and helping people out through the escape room with a need any help i've been available from like four to seven and like had my dms open and it has been a race to the clock every time we've gotten people out of the escape room but there have been some people who see me like see my post like way late and at like 6 59 they're like i'm about to start the game and i'm like no "No!" (laughs) so yeah i haven't started yet but only because i've a gotten wildly swamped with my notes this week for whatever reason and then b i wanted to make sure i like could film it and the stars have no you're so no you're fine preparing i uh i will say amanda from wine and crime was my first guinea pig uh when i i I posted something about it or she texted me right as I was in the middle of posting it. So she caught me in a frantic moment and she was like, I love escape rooms. <laughs> so I was like, look, <laughs> if you want to be my first round at this, give it a shot. So sh- thank Amanda from Wine and Crime. If, uh, if it's too confusing, she gave me the green light on it. it was good to post. So there you go. Yeah. So you can yell at her if anything goes wrong. Yeah. Anyway, that, <sighs> that's the only th- reason I drink is that I've just spent a lot of hours thinking about escape rooms, aka I'm I feel like I'm becoming a crazy a crazy person. So, but that's well, it. Welcome, welcome to the club. Um, I before we get started, I want to give a quick apology. Um, not really quick apology, but a very sincere apology to a blog called 
Talk Murder With Me. Uh, it says, Great True Crime Blog by Natalie DeGroote. And in the episode on Savannah LaFontaine Greywind, it was episode 214, um, I unintentionally used portions of her article about the story and, mm. like, used them without proper citation in the episode. And so, anyway, gotcha. basically, I'm mortified and horrified and... <laughs> Uh, I failed. It was in like her blog was in the footnotes, but I just didn't mention it somehow in the actual reading of my notes out loud. So, well, you know, to, to like not to like totally, but there are times where I'll just like use a I'll have a footnote at the bottom, but I'll just have the quote there. So when I'm reading it through, I'll just go, oh, and, you know, here's a quote. And then I just forget to say where it's from. So like I I totally get the accident, but also I totally understand the mortifying feeling because we want to always make sure that people know that we're not trying to steal anything from anyone. So, Yeah, and, uh, you know, I take it very seriously, especially when it's, like, storytelling about a murder case. Like, I don't want to ever act like I told this Mm -hmm. story or I had this information myself or anything like that. So, um, yeah, I want to make sure that uh, Talk Murder With Me, the blog, gets the proper credits. It, it obviously it was not intentional, but uh, it was an oversight on my part. But that's like not an excuse for <laughs> taking somebody's work and then not crediting them. So I'm just here to say full responsibility. I dropped the ball. I apologize. We've added her blog talk murder with me to the show notes of this episode and episode 214. Um, her piece on Savannah is like really, really beautifully done. Uh, her entire site is chock full of true crime. I'm pretty sure I referenced the blog in, in a past episode, but it must have been like 2018. So it's been a long time. Like she's great, a great writer. It's a really, really awesome blog. And it was actually bookmarked on my browser when I went in there. And I was like, okay, I clearly have like used this as a resource before, but have mentioned it in the past. So anyway, if you want to check that out, it's it's a really awesome website. And we've put the link in the show notes. So cool. check it out. I am so sorry, Natalie. And I'm going to be way more, you know, astute from now on about following up on, you know, making sure everybody's credited properly. There's truly no bigger fear as a podcaster than feeling like you used someone else's notes and didn't give them proper credit or Yeah, cuz like that, that feeling so. if it happened to you would be so frustrating and infuriating and devastating. Like it would if somebody took my, you know, work that I worked my ass off on and then used it without letting anybody know to check the original source out, that I would be very frustrated. So I fully apologize and uh, thank you. And we've been in touch with Natalie and um, she's been very gracious and kind. So thank you, Natalie. And uh, check out Talk Murder With Me. It's it's really a great blog and there's a lot of entries about some of the stuff we've covered and photos and all sorts of good stuff. I can't imagine also, yeah, definitely, definitely on your end, talking about true crime, wanting to make sure that like, you know, everything is it's very scary. You have to be very careful because obviously it's like real people, real news stories, real sometimes like in process cases and trials. And yeah. it's yeah, you can't joke around or. Uh, yeah. You well, also, usually, usually most of my stuff is like hearsay also. Right. So true. One of the things that scares me a lot about most of my stories is that a lot of it is like well then one time someone said this and it's like okay well i don't know if that's real or not like it's like i'm just gonna put it in there but like i can't confirm that the demon you know spoke in latin but like i have to so i i it's a different fear but i like thank you for acknowledging it i didn't know that that was something that you were going through but yeah i'm glad it's been been resolved i was really thankful that uh natalie was very gracious and uh you know understood so Thank cool. you, Natalie. Well, 
my story this week, hopefully um, the government is very gracious to me. And... Oh, God. Um, no. no. <laughs> I don't want to believe that. I don't know what their track record is, but I hope that they uh, don't come at me. Don't at me, government. Oh, my God. By now, you've probably heard about Burrow, a new kind of furniture company known for timeless designs, durable materials, and details that make life in your space easier. Last year, they brought their expertise outside with the launch of their outdoor line, which I love, and now they're adding more must-have pieces to the collection. For example, Dunes offers seating, dining, and lounger options, while Scout is a new folding chair upholstered in a chic woven fabric. And I think I'm going to get two of those for the balcony. Blaze and I love to sit out there in the evenings after Leona goes to bed. And I love the idea of having a good-looking but also extremely useful and comfy place to sit outside. Made of durable materials made for all seasons, weather-resistant teak, stainless alloy, and quick-dry stain-resistant cushions with easy assembly and disassembly this is the perfect thing for your outdoor space they also just launched a new standing desk co-pilot with adjustable height a durable scratch resistant body with built-in storage to make working at home easier than ever i'm in the market for a new desk um so this is definitely going to be my next bookmark and of course there's burrow's legacy seating collections like the nomad and range now available in new colors and m and i that's like the only piece of furniture i think we actually share is our burrow sofa in the podcast department love that thing and that's why we drink listeners can get 15% off their first order at burrow.com slash drink. That's burrow, B-U-R-R-O-W.com slash drink for 15% off. Burrow.com slash drink. Shopping for humans is hard, but shopping for your dog is easy thanks to Bark. Every month they deliver toys and treats just for your pup because they deserve to be spoiled. At Bark, they send your dog a whole new collection of toys and treats made just for them every single month. Whether it's their fun plush toys from BarkBox or their ultra-tough toys from Super Chewer, they give your dog exactly what they want. And for a limited time, they'll double your first box for free. To get your free upgrade, go to BarkBox.com drink. That's right, you can sign up now at BarkBox.com drink for this exclusive offer. This ad is now over. Let's go back to petting our dogs. All right. So anyway, hope the government is not mad at me, but the sources that I used were Vanity Fair and then a bunch of blogs. So let's see. I'm covering Bohemian Grove, which it sounds like you don't know what it is. No, that's a government thing. It is a government thing. It's a secret society thing. (gasps) What? Um, I've never heard of this, Em. So some of it sounds really fun. Some of it sounds really incredibly awful. Uh Uh-oh. And because it's a secret society... I can only go off of what I what I've read, but I have no fucking clue what the truth is. It could just be like a a good old boys club, yikes, or it could be like really fucking horrible. Um, okay. And that's where the the mystere lies. All right. Um, okay, so I'm just going to start out with a quote from uh, President Nixon, uh, 1972. He said, anybody can be the president of the United States, but very few can ever have any hope of becoming president of the Bohemian Club. What? So uh, the Bohemians, which I will get into the name of it also in a little bit. The Bohemians slash the Bohemian, the Bohemian Club slash the Bohemian Grove slash the Grovers is an ultra elite club. It is basically a summer camp for like presidents and movie (laughs) stars and all the people you think are in the illuminati and so it was founded in sonoma california in 1872 or 1873 i think it was 1873 and basically the san francisco area in general is all too familiar with the bohemian club um so there are 
somewhere between 1,500 and 2,500 members. I don't know if that means there are about 2,500 in total and 1,500 go every year, but 15 to 2,500 members. And it's basically elites spending two weeks away on this secret retreat to, quote, get away. Okay. And this, by the way, Bohemian Grove is like a real thing, but the secret part of it is not knowing what goes on there okay okay so it is like a verified it's a legitimate place Got it's it. just we don't know how insidious or politically corrupt or illegal the things that go on there are okay um you know how like there's always those rumors of like how like um president bush was part of like the skull and bones right. in college and stuff and there's like some weird rituals that go on there uh bohemian grove kind of has the same uh-huh. lore of like oh like there's like weird sex stuff that goes on there and there's uh weird occult rituals that happen and Ooh. so um yeah so there's that <laughs> um Fun. the some of the theories are that there are quote secret war rooms there unquote uh and that like basically everyone's there having like, imagine children at a summer camp, except now they're all a bunch of straight white men with power and money. No, it was so fun for 0.5 seconds. <laughs> it was fun until we heard that it was men. Oh. Um, so uh, it originally wasn't a secret society, but in the 1930s, it became more exclusive, probably because that was when I think some of the presidents started getting involved in it. And so then all of a sudden it became more of a swanky thing. Right. Apparently to join, you need several invites. So like you can't just apply. You have to, a bunch of people have to want to welcome you in. I've seen different things on different websites where the initiation fee ranges from $8,000 to $25,000. Just to even. It would be more. I feel like it would be more too. But I not to be like, oh, that's not much money. Obviously it is. But like, I mean, like if you're the president, like country clubs are like quadruple that <laughs> you know what i mean right well so i thought um i thought it was probably twenty five thousand, but then one of like the more basically i'm going to get into the fact that a lot of people have gone undercover and tried to like snoop around there mm. and one of the quotes that i got from someone who actually went there said eight thousand dollars which is kind of shocking to me because i'm like if me and all my friends really, really, really wanted to rally together, we could afford to go to yeah. Bikini Grove then, you know? Like, it's still obviously a shit ton of money, but, like, it's not for, like, somebody like uh, who whoever you'd think Bush or, like, uh, what's his name? Elon Musk or somebody. Like, that's not money. Like, that's not a lot right. of money, you know? That's, like, that's just, like... It's uh, not exclusive. That's, like, a, that's chump change to them. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to run with the idea that it's 25,000, but I have heard 8,000 and the, after that, the yearly fees are somewhere between two to $5,000. And then it's said that there's a waiting list that again, based on different articles, I have different answers, but the waiting list is at least 15 years long. Some articles say that it's up to 33 years long mm-hmm. and they say thousands and thousands of people are on this waiting list and like literally die waiting to be invited <laughs> to the Bohemian Grove. I just picture like skeletons still just like in a waiting room. Uh-oh. Just a bunch of skeletons in line. Like it's like the Beetlejuice uh, purgatory where <laughs> yeah. you're in the lobby. Aww. So the, who are the members? So they're pretty much everyone you think could be in the Illuminati. So wealthy big names, either in the corporate world or they might be movie stars or a lot of presidents. Basically, if you are a Republican president, you have you probably have at least a, a guest pass. So some of the past members have been 
President Taft, President Coolidge, President Hoover, President Eisenhower, President Nixon. Do you hear the sound? What the hell is that? Is that a That's ferret? a dog. It's a dog. When I first moved Are here. Are you sure? <laughs> I'm sure. Because when we first moved here, I thought it was like a girl being assaulted outside. Oh, and, God. I thought it was and, a fucking ferret, M. Jeez. Oh, no. I thought it was like, a, like someone screaming for help. And I literally in the middle of the night without like pants on sprinted outside and like went to go like try to save somebody and it was this fucking little rat dog it's so annoying and oh, now boy. that dog every every time that dog goes outside it like won't shut up and it just sounds like a woman in distress <laughs> it's the um, worst. i'm pretty sure everyone's gonna agree with me that it actually sounds like a ferret but all right well you know you what in the middle of the night when i heard what sounded like screams i was like okay i gotta go save a person um Anyway, uh, a bunch of presidents, uh, Nixon, Ford, Reagan, Bush Sr., Bush Jr., and then there's, like, the Rockefellers and Dick Cheney. Apparently, Clint Eastwood was in there, Bing Crosby, Mark Twain. Okay, so what um, I'm what I'm sensing – sorry, now I'm just, like, totally derailing here, but – or at least going back a little bit. But, like, $25,000 to, like, Bing Crosby might have been a lot of money. You know uh, what I mean? Or maybe, like, Taft or something. Like, back then, it would right. be a lot of money. Nowadays – like I'm not saying, oh, to me that's nothing. It's just like picturing like Beyonce like getting into right. a place and being like, oh no, it's two thousand dollars a year. What? If even I mean, eight thousand dollars is the smaller version that I've seen, and eight thousand dollars I would never pay eight thousand dollars for anything. I I can't imagine. Like maybe a car, a, maybe a child. I guess <laughs> like if I were trying to have a baby, like but kidnap like, one. <laughs> no, like I'd be like like a, a legal a legal means of right, sure. getting me to have a child but like even then i'm like whoo that's an expensive number well, it's a big chunk of change and i mean like but for somebody like beyonce 25 grand is like nothing i mean yeah like it's just for, not for like i mean not that i don't know if obama's a member of the bohemian Grove, but like if a president today if someone was like i need eight thousand dollars he'd be like okay whatever it's just baffling that that's so uh that that's it's it. got a it's got to not be the right number, or it's got to be a, an inflated. I mean, inflated... I have some secret intel that I can't say on the show, but I'll tell you later. Maybe I've told, I probably already told you about this girl I knew who went to the gi- this gym I used to go to for, for like oh, eight yes, weeks. Yeah. Everybody, and she went. She worked. Her job was basically like she would serve drinks at like really swanky. Like, she was really beautiful and young, and, like, they would literally hire people based on what they looked like to serve drinks at these, like, crazy parties, exclusive things, and dinner parties. Mm-hmm. And she went to, like, this really, really, really wild one. And she's she like, well, I signed an NDA, but, like, what are they going to do? And I was like, okay, I want you to tell me, Bold. but also, like, <laughs> ooh, they'll probably kill you? I don't know. And so she started going on and on and complaining about it, and I was like, oh, my God. it's like It's, like, everything you would think about a secret society and how, like kind of effed up it is like mm. actually in real life that she saw it and i was like oh my god but so there are all these people there and they were but it cost like i don't know 25 grand a person just to even like have a dinner there so oh my I'm like, god yeah but, which, but like for people who have billions of dollars that's like nothing you know wow wow Whew. Well, okay. Well, that person anyway. has access to the Bohemian Grove, probably, or at least knows one or two things. Maybe about that's it. where she was. I don't know. I mean, maybe. I I have I have one friend in New York who has told me some pretty wild stories because they were uh, a paid host at some like exclusive secret parties and stuff mm. like that. But I never even heard anything that uh, luxurious. Well, it was I at- actually heard the trashiest things about it. <laughs> but it was at house. So that's. <laughs> 
that's why it was so expensive but like i got some see she showed me photos of his bathroom because she okay i'm not i'm probably gonna get in trouble she showed me photos of his bathroom because they're some weird like i actually saw actual pictures and i was like holy mother of god this guy's weird let's keep all this in but bleep out the person's name let's do like a yes good idea good idea tell me about what what oh yeah so there were um all these like different barbie dolls and they were all like posed all over the walls in different sexual positions what (laughs) yeah they were like really graphic like oh my god sex positions and they were like glued all over the i don't know if they're glued but they're like all over the different walls and the bathroom had these weird ass like mirrors on the ceilings and floors and these barbie dolls were everywhere it was like very graphic what just in the world? and that was just like the quote-unquote servant bathroom that she used like oh, <laughs> that's the word. one she was allowed to use um and they were supposed to take their phones away and she's like yeah i just like said i left mine in the car and then took it in the bathroom and took photos i was like girl you're ballsy <laughs> truly this person is out of sight i mean like the friend that i have she also said that they used to have like literal like instead of like coat rooms like coat coat racks for you to like check your hat and your coat at the door they had phone rooms where like you left your phone in the closet yeah and you had to check your phone out as you were leaving because so they you didn't weren't want... recording anything or, yeah yeah and uh my friend listened i guess they were they were also like being hired to be there so they were like i don't want to get fired but yeah, that's the thing is, like, you have to be careful just to keep your job. And she got paid really well because, like, oh, yeah. you get tipped. And, like, they would sit on their laps and, like, I mean, the whole thing, like, exactly what you would picture somebody serving, some young 20-something serving, like, drinks. To- <laughs> <laughs> and his associates. And I got a list of the people there. Oh, my God. It was We need to have a conversation bonkers. later, Christine. I've never heard this. I thought this. we've talked about this. I... It's shitty. It's just fucking crazy. Oh, my it's gosh. Crazy. Well, anyway, Bohemian Grove, do That's better. That's what I think of when I think secret societies, and I'm like, it costs two grand per year. What? Okay, I'm clearly, I'm clearly getting a number that is not true. Or no, Bohemian, maybe it's not. Or maybe Bohemian it's Grove just... is lame as shit. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, maybe it's just so exclusive that like the money isn't even part of it. It's just like maybe an afterthought and the the you have to give your blood or something yeah maybe it's just your blood or like your firstborn well also um (laughs) i I did see a lot of articles say that the bohemian grove group in general is becoming kind of like an old man's club and they're realizing that they're having a hard time getting new people in that are younger so like even everyone on the wait list apparently is super like they're skeletons you said. <laughs> they're yeah. definitely older they're definitely older than like the the cool 20 something frat like bros and slick yeah right it's not it's not happening you know um hip hop happening as they say <laughs> and so uh but yeah so pretty much anyone that was ever anyone it, it, you have to be the top of the top to be invited in but then even like cia directors secretaries of state international bankers like heads of like big bu- like big business moguls Those are all the people who get invited to this. And so uh, Herbert Hoover himself has been quoted calling this place the greatest men's party on earth. Gay! (laughs) Sounds a little gay to me. Uh, So you can guess by now, most of the members, uh, I would say 99% of the members, are wealthy, white, cisgender men. Um, And like I said earlier, (laughs) and imagine, uh, like I said, it's like a an elitist summer camp so it gets it gets racist and sexist and perverse pretty quick so uh, i'll get to that a little bit later but just keep that on the back burner if you didn't already as a woman um so oh yeah don't worry i've been sitting in it over here (laughs) 
So much of what happens at Bohemian Grove is top secret. So there's a lot of mystery and conspiracy about the retreat. But uh, what we do know is that it's 2,700 acres. It's guarded by its own like armed security. Um, I've heard, I've I saw in one article that there's also like helicopters that like guard it from an aerial perspective. Um, Locals that even like live near the area because it's in it's basically in like the redwood forest or in a in a forest surrounded by redwoods i'm not sure if they're the same thing but um, <laughs> a redwood forest <laughs> a forest surrounded by redwood trees and uh even locals who are like near the grounds like security will show up and like question them and t- tell them that they have to leave according to some people who have broken in uh, apparently the security is not all that it's chalked up to be one guy even stayed for seven of the 16 days and like didn't get no. caught no yeah, there. I saw at least, I think it was three, but it could have only been two articles where the whole conversation or the whole report was just someone talking about how they broke in and like infiltrated it and like, oh my god, they played off as if they were like a member or like a guest visiting. Um. Anyway, so on the grounds there are currently a hundred twenty four different camps. So it's basically like you pick your own. I don't know if you select it yourself or you you inherit it. Like, oh, my dad and his dad before him were part of this camp, so I'm going to be a part of it. I don't know how it works, but they're basically like um, houses. And so you're kind of with mm. your own little camp team. And I think once you select a spot, you're always there. I'm not sure if it gets to change every year, but one of the big ones was called like the Mandalay. One was called the Hill Billies, which is ironic, I think. Nah. Uh, Sure there was another there's another one called like pink onion like some of them are kind of like silly names but you pick one and that's how people identify you and a lot of those camps have their own air about them like oh if you're in this house you are part of either this family or you believe these things or this is your stereotype right. so there's 124 there have been i think up to like 170 camps at different times but some of them die out just because people aren't members of them anymore (laughs) i think because they die out (laughs) um apparently there are a few rules at the bohemian grove which you must always obey there are two of them one of them which you must always obey is that uh you always have to be drinking um (laughs) okay all right fine (laughs) if you have to twist my arm one of the people who uh infiltrated the camp i think this was the same person who stayed for seven out of 16 days said that they like literally have like a drink valet that starts at like 7 a.m and have like gin spritzers and shit holy mother of god so like you're you start hot and then you end up hotter i think So that's one rule that you have to follow. The second rule, there's only two rules. One of them, the drinking one, definitely they are strictly enforced on. The second one, people just absolutely fucking ignore. And that rule is what is the club's motto. And it is weaving spiders come not here. Which (laughs) is from A Midsummer Night's Dream. And it means basically like outside business should be put aside. And it's like... oh. So, like, don't bring, like, your job here. Don't bring networking here. But, not like, gonna this happen. not going to happen. This is literally the place to fucking network. And it's where a lot You're of... You're meeting Nixon. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? You're hanging out with only the presidents. So, um... <laughs> but don't network if you're a politician. Um, Yikes. So, 
it's obviously not taken seriously. There's a lot of political and business deals that have come out of the Bohemian Grove. One of them apparently was in 1942. There were meetings there for the Manhattan Project, which mm. um, so it was a bunch of government and military officials and scientists. And the meetings that happened there led to the creation of the atomic bomb. Holy, I don't like that. They're all wasted out of their minds at 7 a.m. And are like, I have a great <laughs> idea for a huge bomb. Yeah, I have this idea God. where we're going to just fucking explode an entire part Let's of the blow world. blow everybody up. Uh, so one of the quotes that I've seen is, quote, politicians say there is no place like the Grove to help get a campaign rolling. And that has, apparently there have been a lot of, pol- a lot of, president elects or presidents who were running at least who have campaigned there right before they announced so it is literally a place where politicians will get their start and just to be clear the first people in the bohemian club it has clearly warped since then because the first people i said like mark twain was a member like i i didn't say charles dickens i bet he was one of them but like it was all the bohemian club was about poets and well, writers charles dickens and artists. Was british are they allowed in Oh, I forgot that he was British. Probably. I don't think nationality mattered. I don't know. Maybe. I don't fucking know. I forgot he was British. But yeah, so the original people in the Bohemian Club were poets and writers and artists who loved nature, which is why they wanted to be out in these woods together. Oh, and so, that's nice. Yeah, and so that also explains like the Bohemian Club of like, oh, we're like kind of like right. beatnik artsy. Artsy. Yeah. Yeah. It also explains, so they were very against the... um like business wheelings and dealings happening here and like corrupt politicians discussing things like the a-bomb you know um (laughs) so the exact opposite if anything it was a full circle of something they'd probably written about oof and so anyway so that's where the original name came from this also explains why not only are they called the bohemians but it explains the tradition at this camp where there is a high volume of theater on the grounds um so uh, apparently one of the biggest things that goes on at this place is that there are i don't know if daily is the right word but frequent plays there's at least a large scale production there's two like original shows there's a there's a musical comedy show there's uh a drama all of these are also like written by the members like no. So like, yeah. So it's it's weird that like all of these like politicians all of a sudden show up and there's just like this like weird. So are they in the yeah, plays? Yeah, they're in the plays. What? So so this is like a talent show at a real summer camp, but like they're <laughs> all old it's, white men who are wasted out of their minds. It's the worst glitch in the matrix version of Camp Rock. It's, Holy. Yes, truly. It's uh so the so Bohemian Grove has a lot of theater productions during the retreat and their final night is called the grove play um and it's this large-scale musical show created by the club members with hundreds of people in the cast and crew i saw on one article that the budget for this was probably around one hundred forty thousand dollars in today's money wow that being said i've also heard that it is sometimes actually a really boring show <laughs> so i well they're not, i mean well duh it's a bunch of like non-theatrical people trying to write a musical (laughs) exactly like what how'd you corporate musical um oh boy apparently this has been performed every year since 1902 the only exceptions have been world war ii and covid so to this day apparently they still drum out a little musical together um that's bananas also interestingly enough this 
a lot of what goes on at the Bohemian Grove. There's apparently a lot of like weird streaking and cross dressing. There's a well, lot of I'm like not surprised by that one bit. I'm not either, but it's uh interesting. It's worth noting, I think. But uh but yeah, yes, so for sure. So there's a lot of uh art and theater that usually you wouldn't hear people putting this time into and I from what I see, they're part of the production. So somehow Vanity Fair discovered or got their hands on one of the Bohemian Grove schedules. Um, <gasps> and when I say somehow, what I mean is I ended up finding out that someone that works at Vanity Fair did their own de- like uh, a little decon, recon, and found and ended up at the actual grounds themselves. And so they did this kind of like investigative thing. Wow. Um, and it's just weird because you would think out of all the publications out there, Vanity Fair wouldn't be the one on top of this. Like, I just think of, like, maybe, I don't even know which one I would think of, but to me, Vanity Fair is more of, like, the, like, a, I don't know, more feminine magazine versus, like, this old boys club in the woods. I don't know. I feel like Vanity Fair always comes out with these, like, intense, like, mysterious pieces. Like, they're good at, like, the Oh, really? Kind of, yeah. I feel like they're, they're really good at those long form, like expose type pieces i think oh okay well there you go there's proof that i don't read vanity fair i think i just <laughs> i think i just i don't know why i assume that maybe the word vanity well, is in it or something yeah it's, I, don't I think know. the name is kind of uh misconstrues a lot of the well either way behind it i didn't mean any shade to vanity fair because i used one of your articles and it was very telling so you did a great job but one i have of- a lot of true crime sources from there they write a lot of like oh. um, like long form pieces well I eat my words, Vanity Fair. So uh, <laughs> so let's talk about this schedule. Mm-hmm. Let's. Please. I'm so, so curious. So some of the things at... Uh, I'm trying to figure out how I want to word this. What they found at, with Vanity Fair, and I think there was also another uh, article that found uh, a full program, is that there are, like I said, two original plays, uh, an art exhibit, there's the musical comedy show, there's lectures on uh, things every day. So there's this lake that all these things are done at the lake. There's like, that's where like basically the big meeting place. And so they have lectures every day on things that these elites in their field would care about. So nuclear science. uh, Oh my God. uh, Outer space. There's like one lecture that seems to be mentioned a lot. So either it was really good or it happens every year, but it was the relationship between religion and politics. Um, Oh, I don't even know what that's the stance on that lecture is, but apparently it's I can't believe it. They're so wasted and they're just doing this (laughs) like college course. I know. It's It's strange. It's like they're going up and like practicing their like, uh, their professional speaking, like it's like their their assignment of like, let me just tell you about nuclear science, but like while waving a beer and my body around. Yeah, yeah, like a drunken speech at the bar, but like <laughs> now we're actually at a podium, yeah. I guess. Like a like a best man speech, but also let me tell you about uh, the religion and politics aspect of my job. nuclear warfare. <laughs> uh, they also at this lake always have a fly casting demonstration, which is interesting. And sure. <laughs> and they do have a talent show called the Little Friday Night, and this was their <laughs> caption in the program in your brochure. This is what they said about the Little Friday Night: "Quote, this is the night that size does matter." <laughs> okay. <laughs> Our little show Ooh. takes over the big stage with big acts from Bohemia, plus some surprise big names, and that big and that means big stars from the big time. 
Don't miss our show. It's really well big. And big was capitalized every time. Um, okay. Do we get to know who they are? The guests? No. Special guests. <laughs> no. Oh, come on. One thing I will notice, or one thing I will note, is that both from this... Uh, you know when you've got the holidays, the new year, and then all of a sudden it's sort of back to the grind? Especially if you run a small business, it can be really hard to get back into the swing of things. But Stamps.com is here to make that a little bit easier for you. Stamps.com streamlines all your mailing and shipping to turbocharge your operational efficiencies. For 25 years now, Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses. Whether they're mailing out checks, invoices, legal documents, books, podcast branded koozies, maybe that's just us, or anything else. Get access to the USPS and UPS mailing services you need to run your business right from your computer anytime, day or night. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. And with rates you can't find anywhere else, like up to, get this, 89% off USPS and UPS, how could you go wrong? We have loved Stamps.com for years, not quite 25, but since we started the podcast, which was 2017, and we could not get by without it. I remember there were days where we didn't have Stamps.com, those I call the dark ages, and I was hand shipping everything and driving it on my lunch break to the post office. It was all very hectic. Stamps.com, I do it straight from my house, and it makes my life a trillion times easier. Keep your mailing and shipping moving at the speed of your business with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code DRINK for a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale no long-term commitments or contracts just go to stamps.com click the microphone at the top of the page and enter code drink daylight saving time is starting up again it may feel like there are more hours in the day but if you're hiring it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates any sooner there's only one way to do that zip recruiter right now you can try it for free at ziprecruiter.com drink ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100-plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. Spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why 4 out of 5 employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash drink. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash drink. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Schedule that I saw, as well as some other quick mentions and people like infiltrating. I don't know if that's the right word. It's the one that just feels right. I think so. I like that. It's like kind of undercover. Well, one thing that I noticed in, in a few places is that they also seem to have regular um, musical performances, whether it's live music or I'm not totally, I think it's live music, but one night was specifically blues music themed. Another was specifically Motown music themed and another was celebrating Sam Cooke. Um, if you notice, that is all black music and they are being uh, promoted at this very white elitist place that I'm going to guess has some racist history to it. So it didn't, it's felt, started to feel a little racist there when I was like, why are we celebrating? They're like the entertainment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And uh, so. Wait, so, but wait, so are there actual bands coming to perform the Motown or is it like these guys are performing it? I don't, I don't know the legitimate answer, but based, based on the energy I was getting off of these articles I was reading, it felt like it was other people from this group performing. 
oh no okay that's very oh boy okay that's how it Got felt it. i don't know if that's right even if they did bring in people i still don't love it that they're only bringing in either other no. white people to perform black music for them or they're inviting black performers who wouldn't usually feel welcome in this space to, per- to entertain it, no matter what i don't to really be like the entertainer it. yeah it's it's kind of weird it's weird felt a little racist so i wanted to just get that out of the way also there ha- was some controversy i think this was also the vanity fair article that there was some controversy about logging in the area and that they were getting rid of the big redwoods and douglas firs <gasps> for land development oh, so no. they could expand the ground oh, no i didn't i don't know enough about like the the crisis the deforestation crisis or the logging crisis to give more information than that but it was clear that there was um some issues with that there were some people who had even left bohemian grove because of what they were doing with the trees and were trying to make like a retaliation group so well especially if the original point was like to be in nature Mm -hmm. yep anyway so i wanted to bring those up and i also want to talk about the weirdest part of this whole thing. Uh, somehow, radio TV host slash conspiracy theorist slash overall trash man Alex Jones, um, <laughs> if you don't know him from InfoWars, uh, he's apparently obsessed with Bohemian Grove. And this was like his big break was him uh, documenting. He was one of the people who infiltrated Bohemian <gasps> Grove and actually got on film one of their weirder ceremonies. And I don't really ever in my life want to give that man any credit, but I will say this was probably him with his finest work. Um, Okay. I'll just only because only because it was caught on camera and therefore I can see it with my own eyes. But like, so, and you can find it. It's called dark secrets. It's on YouTube. It's a, it's two hours. So I, I'm going to be completely honest. I didn't, I did not watch the entire thing. So um, please, Give me some slack there if I miss something from that documentary. So he caught what is called the cremation of care um, ceremony. What? And it's on the like that. It's on the first night. It's actually like it's more metaphorical than anything. It's the uh, the first night of the event, and basically the cremation of care or getting rid of your care is getting rid of all of your worries outside of this retreat. The whole point is for you to like. Forget your issues at home. Forget your issues with work. Just come here and, like, get away and take a break. So this is almost so like... they just wanted alliteration involved. Yeah. Like, they couldn't just say, like, oh, like, throw your cares away. They had to be, like, cremate your cares. It's big, toxic, masculine men who think that they're all tough and shit. So they're like, cremate your cares. Because, God forbid, you talk <laughs> about your cares as if you have emotions. Except right now when they're on sounds- fire. The way you just said that sounds like a little bagel bites acting. <laughs> your cares. He literally would. Is he could, this the spirit of a grandmother who <laughs> wanted to cremate her cares? So uh, anyway, so it's at least nowadays, I don't know what it was like in the past, but at least nowadays it's more of like a ceremonial symbolic, like today is the first night of the retreat. Like, let's all just like right. have a good time. But it comes with like some secret society flair to it so there's people in (laughs) robes and shit which is really creepy oh no oh no no. so this is in 2000 when alex jones and another person they uh together went in to bohemian grove and brought cameras uh yeah so the cremation of care so what they what they found was that basically folks all gathered by the lake 
there's this the so the owl is like their big symbol of bohemian grove and so there's a lot of owls everywhere and one of the main owls well you know what hold on can i pitch something i have an idea so remember how i was an owl in the play when i was growing up you said it earlier and i was like this is so beyond for real i could go get my costume and then i could infiltrate and just stand in the corner and nobody would ever I had water in my mouth. <laughs> Nobody would ever know, Em. That was... Nobody would ever know. <laughs> I'll go like this. This is what I did in the play. I think, is that the voice of the wise owl in the woods <laughs> cremating our <laughs> care? Oh, my God. I think this is a great idea. I, all I thought of was you with your fucking classy, trashy headband and your Rothy's just... <laughs> Standing near a lake and pretending <laughs> you're an owl. Oh my god, I'm so into this idea. Actually, um, someone draw Christine pretending she's an owl, and she's clearly not. <laughs> I'm infiltrating a secret society dressed as an owl. Okay, go. <laughs> someone draw an owl in an inspector's hat and just and just staying still. Um, okay, <laughs> I wouldn't be standing still. I'm not good at that. I can't promise that, but. I, I will have the costume. <laughs> you'll at least coo, even though you're definitely human. Hoo, hoo. Um, yeah. So, wow, where do I go back? I <laughs> <laughs> I think we're done. I don't think you need to say anymore. <laughs> so, uh, oh yeah, so the the 45-foot owl slash Christine. Um, <laughs> so folks all gather by the lake at this 45-foot stone owl who who's and wears Rothy's. <laughs> so obsessed with this it's 45 feet what in god's name is going on at this place uh it's apparently known as the great owl of bohemia so that's your new screen name christine i'm so into it oh my god uh so okay people go to the lake they stand by this owl and this is where the cremation of care ceremony begins and apparently beforehand there is this massive feast which i'm imagining is like harry potter style oh i love it and bagpipes play as everyone moves to the lake. Oh, okay. Uh, people are at the altar uh, di- wearing different robes, but the main one we got to care about is the one in white. He's the speaker. Alex Jones actually says that he's he shows a uh, brochure, and this is a quote from him. Even more shocking is the figure of a human body burning in the flames. What? In fact, I've shown it to people that are experts in, a, in anatomy, to actual doctors, and they say that the anatomical size of is that of a baby or a small child. So it imp- what? So the picture on the brochure is implying that this ceremony involves a human, probably child sacrifice, um, which is just uh, <sighs> the narr- the narrative at this point. Like no child was literally sacrificed, but that's okay. What we're it's going with like- here. Which is also fucked up. Like, why is that the story we're going with? Yeah. Okay. So at the lake, the cremation of care skit is performed because there's a skit to it, obviously. Oh, fun. <laughs> uh, it's theatrical. And it's about basically making a deal with the wise owl in the woods to give them permission to, like, take the next two weeks and relax. So they're, right. it's asking the wise owl if he'll allow them to relieve themselves of their cares. Each ceremony is paraphrased a different way. I mean, I don't know. I wasn't fucking there. But it sounds like everyone who has been there and has explained it has said it in different words. So I'm guessing that the script isn't, like, set in stone like the owl. Sure. Um, They, (laughs) uh, but the gist of it is that 
the man in the white robe, surrounded by torches, by the way, tells the Bohemians to, quote, shake off your sorrows and cast to the winds the cares of life. Um, okay. And there's, uh, by the way, when I tell you I'm grossly paraphrasing because there is like it felt like a half an hour of flowery old timey language of yees and thous and all this <laughs> oh no i just got rid of all i was like i'm not even going to talk about that but it was like a like a whole sermon that this guy was giving basically and eventually it, it, at the end of the speech the man in the white says dull care has been slain our funeral pyre awaits his body the corpse of care Oof, okay. And so then there, the other part of this skit is you haven't been paying attention the whole time, but in the lake, there was this guy dresses the Grim Reaper on a paddle boat, and he <laughs> and he brings over what looks like a human body. It's like probably like a dummy wrapped in a blanket or something, but it's supposed to look like the... So dull care, just so we're all on the same page here, because I had to learn it and now so do you. Um, dull care is the name of the body that is your cares. So dull care, dull care. So all of your cares, the embodiment of your cares is this body that they call dull care. So when they say dull care has been slain, our funeral pyre awaits his body. Dull care is the corpse of your cares, the dead body of your cares. So it's just like a flowery metaphor of like, Oh, here is a representation of all the cares that we're totally just letting go of. I see. And so the Grim Reaper is bringing over the corpse of your cares. And so he brings it over to uh, the man in the white. And then all of a sudden, as you're about to say goodbye to your cares and say goodbye to the corpse of care, the loudspeaker, you hear this maniacal laugh and it's the owl. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. I didn't get this in my script. Hang on. (laughs) And the owl basically says... Is that better? (laughs) Yes. By the way... I giggle afterward because I can't keep a straight face. Well, by the way, for many years, the owl's voice was Walter Cronkite, who was also a member of the... Oh, fuck. I can't feel those shoes. Are you kidding me? You can't feel those Rothies. I can't feel those Rothies at all. Apparently, Walter Cronkite was also a member and he... volunteered in some way to voice the owl so of course he did so the owl laughs and then he says something along the lines of like you can't slay me you like you can't slay your cares i am a walter (laughs) crocot is that okay it's you're doing great thank you uh it basically says like you're fools to think you can relinquish all of your cares fools And the man in the white says, we know we can't ignore our worries forever, but we come here every year, quote, for fellowship to take time away from those cares. And this is another quote from that flowery stuff. The white man tells the the white man, the man in white, also the white man. Which one? (laughs) The white man in white tells Walter Cronkite slash Christine slash the owl. um, Thine malevolence, which ye pursue, has lost its power under these friendly trees. Which basically says, like, you trying to scare us about, like, relinquishing our fears and relinquishing our cares. That's that's of the past. We're here to have a good time. Do we have your permission to just hang out? And basically the owl says, you're going to try to burn me? I spit upon (gasps) your fire. And then there's a firework. Shut up. And then the man in white says, oh, owl, we're begging for this. I'm paraphrasing, but he says, like, please, 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 like, don't spit upon our fire. Let us burn the corpse of care. Let us not have these cares anymore. 
And then there's this huge, you know, music playing. I think it's the owl singing the lyrics. And <laughs> basically the lyrics say, the only way you can conquer your cares. This is not the literal lyrics. The but only way. <laughs> Sorry, I'm preparing. Basically, the, the gist of the lyrics is that the only way you can conquer your cares is with fire from the lamp of fellowship, which apparently burns eternally. And by eternally, I mean for the week of the retreat. Um, so then the man in white, basically the owl is saying, yes, you may now burn the corpse of your care. So then the man in white takes an unlit torch, sticks it into the eternal lamp of fellowship and lights the fake body on fire. Uh, and he burns the corpse of care for all of us. And he says, quote, be gone, detested care. Hail fellowships, eternal flame. And then there's what I imagine a firework show. And everyone's excited because we've all relinquished our cares and we can have a great retreat together. This is bananas. So here's where a lot of the controversy also starts coming in or at least the conspiracies behind it because apparently from those who have seen this skit play out they say that it nods to a lot of babylonian or druid rites mm. or um one reporter even said that when they saw this happen they also saw a bunch of little upside down crosses around the lake catch on fire at the same time oh my god which feels like a no-no from ominous. from the white protestants um hmm. so mainly the theories claim that bohemian grove ceremonies focus on these gods none of which you hear about in the bible i think um baal b-a-a-l uh focuses on the druids it focuses on bacchus who's also the greek dionysus who is the god, god of, of sex wine and the revelry yes, the god, god of wine celebration and sexual freedom mm-hmm. so the druids if and no one's been able to confirm any of this, but a lot of people have found connections to like, oh, so that sounds like this part and that sounds like this part. And the things that you're saying sound like they're part of these rites. So people have kind of mishmashed them together to blanket statements say that this is some occult shit. I see. Especially the Druids part, because they said the Druids have an interesting connection to groves because in paganism, grove means a learning center. And oh, interesting. Also, the owl, who is like a symbol in general of wisdom, of course, that would be inside the learning space. So interesting. like there's an owl in the grove. There's the the wise savior or whatever yeah. in your learning center. I don't know. So it's just in, an interesting thing to note. Also, um, to add to the conspiracy theory slash secret society aspect uh, owls have been seen in different kinds of brotherhoods before. They've been seen, I think, in the Illuminati. They've been seen in the Freemasons. A lot of people mm. say that there's an owl on the dollar bill, which signifies Freemasonry. Um, also, it, we never aired this episode, and I would like to redo it because I think I actually, it was kind of trash. But I, when we did our second DC live show together, the one where all my friends and my family mm, were there, mm-hmm. that's the show that I feel like I butchered. And uh, I covered the DC road layout and the conspiracy. That was cool. I would like to redo it. I feel like I didn't do it justice last time. But I'm trying to remember what my story was because maybe we could just redo that. Yeah. You should redo that story either way. Thank you. I think I should too. That's but really there's, cool. for those of you who weren't at that show, uh, there is a conspiracy that- Well, it's that just your family, so <laughs> no one else fit so in the venue. <laughs> Mom and Deirdre, you can leave the podcast You don't now. need to listen. 
But uh, basically, there is this huge conspiracy theory that the roads of DC, the layout of the DC roads, is all created by either the Illuminati or maybe Bohemian Grove or the Freemasons or something secret society-esque that is tied to politics. So one of the things I mentioned is that if you look aerially at the at the dc scope a lot of things will actually draw out owls um also uh i remember talking in that episode or at that show that a lot of the main lines through dc actually draw out an upside down pentagram with the white house like inside of it or something i I mean like just crazy shit like that uh most of the time however when talking about bohemian grove and the cremation of care ceremony the owl is said to be a canaanite god called moloch who is usually referenced by a horned animal in general. A lot of people think that it's probably not Moloch because usually a different horned animal will represent him instead mm-hmm. of an owl. So like maybe a, a bull or something or a goat or something. Um, a lot of people say, well, an owl isn't always used. So it's uh, we can't just assume that this is definitely the, the god they're talking about. More or less, though, if you're talking about Bohemian Grove, and the occult, at some point, the owl named Moloch will be involved or okay. get mentioned. Um, a lot of people have also thought that this owl could be Lilith, who is a demoness, mm. or it could be a few other people. The The overarching assumption is that it's Moloch. Um, Wasn't Lilith just a woman from the Bible who, like, was a sinner? Or is, did she, was she also a demon? I'm going off of what these... Uh, articles told me which is lilith the demoness the only thing i know about lilith is from true blood so i don't know (laughs) the truth oh i guess yeah a demonic figure i didn't realize that i remember her being a demon in true blood because she was like the one who was adam's wife in right adam and eve but that's i don't know anything beyond that all i know is that i was going off these articles which by the way like i don't i don't know how legitimate these articles are either the ones where there was like investigative reporting i i trust a little more but there were some where like i don't know if this is just a conspiracy theorist talking out of their tushy or something but anyway (laughs) you know how they do (laughs) you know how they do um but so anyway a lot of people say it could be the owl could be moloch and uh moloch is apparently the god associated with child sacrifice which would also tie into the brochure that alex jones showed. i can't believe it's on a brochure like what a strange yeah okay Whatever. also let's remember again that these are wealthy white cisgender elite men um so racism sexism perversion in general will get discussed throughout this not to say that perversion is exclusively to men but you know <laughs> or racism or sexism or, yeah it's it's all just kind of part of a package i'm working with here and only here so uh let's just say that it's a top secret retreat for powerful white men and they can do whatever they want without consequence so it just right. gets dark fast so let's just leave it at that yeah so one of the things that freaks me out a little bit about the owl maybe having something to do with child sacrifice is that this skit was only introduced in the 1920s but before that there are suggestions of real sacrifice oh my god instead of it being like a fake body wrapped in a blanket what um so it cannot be there's no definitive proof but in 2004 uc berkeley showed pictures from bohemian grove that looked a lot like a real hanging and if it was the early 1900s i'm gonna i think we can all guess who was probably what so the fuck 
So, yeah. Um, hmm. That's okay. where we'll go there. Okay. Use your imagination on that. Um, or don't. Or don't. But, like, let's just say we can all probably guess who were the target, who who ended up being hanged. If that's true. Again, we don't officially know, but there are pictures out there stating this was 1905-1906 at Bohemian Grove, and it is very clearly, you know, a really traumatic picture. Jesus. So, other than that which is horrible enough. Um, There are other rumors about Bohemian Grove where uh, there are, quote, group homosexual orgies. Okay. Which, that one sounds cool to me. Um, But President Nixon... Better than other stuff. President Nixon in 1971, this is a quote from him, we all know the F word slur for the queer community, specifically the gay men, Correct. I mean, I sure do. Okay, so it's a it's a cigarette in the in in England. Sure is that helps you. So President Nixon in 1971, when talking about the Bohemian Grove, said it is the most f wordy goddamn thing you could ever imagine. So, oh my god! So there has been some. Uh, hmm, I would say that is a a uh, a confirmation. That it's a, probably there's some homosexual things happening there. Wow. Um, and also, I mean, let's not be shocked because we have all heard the stories that there's a lot of closeted conservative people. And now we're sure. in a in the woods by ourselves where nobody can tell on anyone because we're all doing bad shit. No rules. Drinking at 7 a.m. So I would imagine debauchery. this. I would imagine this is a place where people are especially super drunk. Like, mm-hmm. I, I imagine this is. A place where people are being their rawest selves. Sure. So there's that. One article, Who Rules America, they talked about an aspect of Bohemian Grove where a priest, during some of this at one point, during a lecture, I think, uh, a priest or someone dressed as a priest and another person dresses like a tree fairy or a tree spirit or something. <laughs> um, they talk about how, quote, a man's heart is divided between reality and fantasy and how it is necessary to escape to another world of fellowship among men. So it sounds like they're, it sounds like it's uh, alluding to like, Hey, let's all really be ourselves once and for all here. Now that we're separating ourselves from reality anyway. Okay. Here's another quote from that same article. The main priest wore a pink and green satin costume while the tree spirit appeared before a redwood in a gold-spangled bodysuit dripping with rhinestones, and they spoke of fairy unguents, a.k.a. lube, that would free men men to pursue warm fellowship. Whoa, whoa. So it just sounds like that's the beginning of a sexcapade if I ever heard one. Oh, yeah. So that I'm fine with. Of all of the things that I'm hearing is that all of these closeted gay Republicans and closeted gay conservatives and closeted gay politicians or whoever they are, they're all just finally being themselves in the big gay forest. That's great. Super duper. What I'm not cool with is this racism allegation. No, sure. Uh... Or they could just not even be gay and just be like, fuck it. Right, you know? <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. that, happens, that happens too. That's true. That's true. And it, what happens in the woods stays in the woods. And that's... and uh, Until, vi- until not Vice, Vanity Fair gets and involved. T- until Vanity Fair <laughs> finds out and they go, right, right, right. Um, <laughs> so, okay. 
that I'm cool with. Now it's about to get really rough. So I just want to maybe do a quick trigger warning. Oh, God. Oh, no. Um, skip ahead like two minutes and we'll be done with this. Um, okay. Just, just How do I for, do that? For, <laughs> for if you happen to uh, be triggered at all by sexual trauma in any way. Fuck. Um, so apparently there not only was it all potentially consensual man-on-man sex at this, oh, no. but there were also a lot of sex workers who I'm just going to completely scratch out the word sex worker and put sle- sex slave. Oh. And they apparently people were brought in to Bohemian Grove for quote extreme sexual games um but were they like consenting to this no wait what they were not they might they may have started out consenting they were not consenting by the end of this um so apparently there was also uh allegations from these uh i'm gonna say survivors of slavery of human trafficking but there was also apparently exploitation of children. Apparently oh. there was a, quote, ritual murder. Um, so if all of this happened, that means human trafficking is a very real fucking thing that happened there. Um, one of the most uh, loud voices to this is Kathy O'Brien, who is a uh, survivor of this. And she wrote a tell-all called Transformation of America. Trance as in like a hypnotic trance. And also wrote another book. I forgot to write it down here. But if you look up Kathy O'Brien and Bohemian Grove, you'll find a lot more detail on this if you care to know that. Um, the only quote I'm going to say is just a very, very, very quick um, paraphrasing of her experience there. And also a very, sadly, this is the lighthearted version, but I don't even oh, want to get into no. the shit that I read. Um, but Kathy says, quote, slaves such as myself were subjected to ritualistic trauma. I knew each breath I could take could be my last. Slaves of advancing age or with failing programming were sacrificially murdered at random in the woods, uh, in the wooded grounds of Bohemian Grove. And I felt it was, quote, simply a matter of time until it would be me. These occultist (gasps) sex rituals stemmed from the scientific belief that mind-controlled slaves required severe trauma to ensure compartmentalization of the memory. I was told, and this is from a separate article, but the same person. She said, I was told, quote, the next sacrifice victim could be you anytime when you least expect it, the owl will consume you. What the fuck, Em? And that's the most lighthearted thing I can tell you. That it really, she does a, an excellent job of giving you as much detail as you could possibly want. But also if she went through this shit, that woman deserves every good thing for the rest of her life to come her way. What the fuck? So... If that's true, I I hate like not outwardly being like I I believe I I don't know I don't know anything so I don't want to say anything, you know what I mean? I'm gonna absolutely just ride with what she's saying. I'm not gonna tell her she's wrong. I'm not gonna say it didn't happen. I also just don't want to get sued by massive politicians. And right. Well, growth. I mean that's just her version of events, which if it happened are fucking awful. If it happened, this is fucking terrible. Um, oh so God. you'll notice in that quote, I said the phrase failed programming. Yeah, I noticed. It said, uh, I'm not going to say the whole part in case people have already fast forwarded, but basically I made mention of like things happening to specifically the slaves who were older or quote failed programming. Um, and so <sighs> basically this leads into a whole other thing, which I have not even be begun to cover because I it's very overwhelming um, because I want to cover this. 
And I know it's going to be like a QAnon multi-parter, so I haven't even touched it yet. But failed programming comes from Kathy allegedly also being a part of MK Ultra. <gasps> what? Kathy suggests or claims that a lot of members of MK Ultra, once they were in a trance, they were human trafficked <gasps> into Bohemian Grove. Oh my god. Um, she also claims, and these are all claims that you can find in a few places, but Kathy claims that her time at the Bohemian Grove, presidents including both Bushes, Reagan, Ford, and Bill Clinton have all abused her in her lifetime in the, quote, underground room. I just don't even know what to do with this information. Um... She also says she's been to Bohemian Grove a lot, and there are cameras in each of their, quote, sexual perversion theme rooms. So there's different rooms for different things, and she has information about all of it. But basically, Kathy could be making all this up, but there are at least, including Kathy, there are three different people who have come forward about all of this. And I guess their stories were similar enough that it should be worth mentioning that mm. they have all said things. And I guess they've also described places that it's like unmistakably mm-hmm. Bohemian Grove. I think one of the art, I didn't put this in my notes, but I think one of those people was, he said, I was too young to realize it was Bohemian Grove at the time, but the, oh my in my God. descriptions, it's obvious. I think he said unmistakably Bohemian <gasps> Grove. So this is a, a quote that I saw after I read that there are three different people who have come out about this stuff. Quote, and the government has not dismissed their accounts as false or unsubstantiated. It has simply refused to investigate, which is yikeroonies. Interestingly, to uh, to Kathy's point, Kathy says that the first president to abuse her was President Ford, who was also the first to really take advantage of executive privilege in 1947 when the CIA was being investigated on abuse allegations from programs including mm. MKUltra. Aha. Uh-huh. Plus, the director of the CIA when MKUltra was launched was also a member of the Bohemian Club. Mm. And he only became the director like months prior. Like he was a part of the Bohemian Club and then he became the director of the CIA and then only months later MKUltra started. And then there were all these abuse accusations and it got basically covered up by President Ford, who is one of the wow. people who was also at Bohemian Grove that Kathy says was abusing her. And like I said, the club is exclusively male, which means up until today, women have not been allowed to join since its founding. They aren't even allowed to be hired there. And the state of California has charged... They're allowed to be trafficked there, but not Bingo. hired there. Wow. The state probably... Why do you think they're not allowed to be hired there? Because they might see sure. some shit, you know? The state of California charged the Bohemians with discrimination because of that. They even have threatened the Bohemian Grove's uh, liquor license oh god forbid that's even worse (laughs) um but one of their arguments they've had a few arguments where one of them was like and also like this is me trying to completely separate from the shit that kathy has said like i know that like just to try to give it i'm trying to see both sides of this sure and if it is just a good old boys club where you're hanging out by the lake and listening to lectures and smoking cigars and Dave Matthews Band. And there's Dave Matthews Band and Christina's an Owl. If that's all of it, then... <laughs> it's the simple stuff. Then uh, they said one of the reasons that they don't want women included is because they feel like this is the like finally a getaway with just guys where there isn't any peacocking that's disrupting the 
uh, fellowship of just hanging Be out yourself. together instead of like just okay. it being like a pissing competition on like who can get all the girls, you know? So that's oh, one of their big arguments. Another like okay. lesser serious argument, but an argument nonetheless that they literally use, I think like in court, one of their Uh-oh. baby arguments was that, well, men urinate, this is a quote, men quote, urinate in the open without the use of rudimentary toilet facilities and the presence of women would quote, alter the behavior of its members. So I like, knew it was going to be something about pissing or periods. I was, mean, for God's sake. It's literally like they just want to be able to pee wherever they want without women being grossed out by them. So an oh obvious an obvious fact that goes without mention here is that the Bohemian Grove members use a lot of sexual euphemisms when talking about the grove. Even the physical location, they talk a lot about how the trees are, quote, towering shafts. Um, okay. <laughs> there was one tree here that was apparently over 300 feet, and there's a plaque next to it that says, quote, I love this tree as the most sound, upright, and stately redwood in the grove. Let my friends remember me by it when I'm gone. Yikes. And then in 1922, Peter Martin Phillips wrote a dissertation on the sociology of the San Francisco Bohemian Club and was able to pinpoint a lot of conversations that have to do with in either big business or politics that all came or all started from Bohemian Grove. So one of them was when they mentioned the atomic bomb. Others have been when like, I think Reagan and Nixon were like figuring out like how their campaign would go or something or like... Uh, but there's there's been a lot of conversations that could get placed back to their place of origin being the Bohemian Grove. Phillips also asked uh, a few people why men actually enjoy the Bohemian Club and why they want to join. And one response was, quote, The Grove is one of the few places where men can go for ritual and bonding experiences. In the Grove, something mythical occurs that allows white males, who now feel under siege, yeah. to gather and celebrate themselves. they don't have anywhere else to do that anyway that's the (laughs) final quote and the final part of bohemian grove and take what you will from it it sounds like there's some racist undertones which does not shock me it sounds like there's some real sexual perverse undertones which also sadly does not shock me but at the end of the day it could just be a group of white people playing croquet together i'm not sure so and pissing everyone. And peeing all over the place. <laughs> in which case, I still don't really want to be a part of it or involved in any way, so. Right. Well, there you not, have it. Not my scene, you know? Not your scene. What a time. Sorry that was so long, Christine, but. No, that was great. That was, like, something I've literally never heard of before. I'd heard of it very passively. I knew of, like, huh. I think because I'm scared to cover secret societies because I don't know what kind of Pandora's box I'm opening in terms of research. But I had heard of Bohemian Grove and I was like, yeah, 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 I'll get to it eventually. And then I read it and I was like, oh, shit. I had no idea. I've never even heard of it. My God. Whew. All right. Okay. Well, I have something for you that you already know what it is. Yes. Part two. <laughs> part two of Richard Ramirez, The Night Stalker. Dun, dun, dun. So the last thing I remember, is, first of all, I remember your storytelling was mwah. Because oh, thank you. That's nice. You really found like the perfect spot to like a good halfway point of like they finally are about to like get the ball rolling on investigation or something. Well, you know, I like a good cliffhanger. We were at the dentist's office. Oh, that's what it is because he's about to come back in to get his teeth mm-hmm. fixed or something because something mm-hmm. hurts really bad. And I remember this fucker and his stupid footprints and how much I hated that his shoes his got us nowhere every time. Well, the footprints are back. Okay. Baby. And we are currently still at the dentist's office. So the last thing that happened 
is that uh, the suspect had visited the dentist on July 3rd, and it was July, July 9th, so they had missed, since they didn't get access to the fingerprints on the car, they missed him by a few days, which was very frustrating. And then Salerno, one of the detectives, had a friend who was a dentist, and he brought these x-rays to that friend who said, I can tell you he's going to be back. He's got an impacted tooth, and it's going to be killing him soon if it's not already. Mm. So they are thrilled. They're thinking, okay, he's going to come back. Uh, so they put two police officers on surveillance of the dental practice, and then they wait. So that's where we were. Okay. Part two. A few weeks went by, and the police force decided they were spending slash wasting too much money on having these two officers doing surveillance every day. Ugh. So <laughs> instead, they decided to replace having the two surveillance folks watching. They decided to replace that with an, a robbery alarm on the dentist's desk. And what would happen is the dentist was supposed to ring the silent like panic button, basically, this mm -hmm. alarm bell, if he saw the, the guy go in, the patient come in. And so they said, you know what, we're pulling these guys where it's been a few weeks, he hasn't come in, we're pulling these guys and we're going to put a robbery alarm in instead. The first day... Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. I don't... It, it really is so infuriating. The first day that the men had been pulled from surveillance, the doctor called Carrillo up at around 10 p.m. and said, where were you? Why didn't you come? <gasps> it turned out their suspect had been in that day and he had been smashing the alarm, but it hadn't worked. It had malfunctioned. It didn't connect. Oh, my to God. Are you fucking kidding me? So these, this poor dentist is sitting there going, hello, Mr. Ramirez, and like hitting the button and like nothing's happening. Was the dentist at least slick and was like, you have to come in one more time? <sighs> you know, I don't know. That's a great question. I mean, I would have done that. I would have been like, oh, you actually have to come in for one last thing. We have to shave down a tooth or something. Ugh, shave down a tooth. I don't yes. know. I, anything, anything just to like, we got to take this thing off after 24 hours. Yeah, that's a good call. I think he just was so taken aback that like no one was helping a serial killer in his chair. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but yes, yeah, so the the alarm malfunctioned. So the day that the force pulled the two surveillance guys off, uh, he waltzes on in with his little shoes, and uh, the alarm doesn't work. Mm. So now we go to July twentieth, approximately midnight. Max sixty eight and Leela sixty six conniding were shot to death, mm. uh, and they also had knife wounds found on their upper abdomens. The police found a pool gate that had been opened, and the back door was also opened, and it was quickly observed that both were shot with a twenty-two caliber gun. So this is where it gets frustrating again, because you're like, if they had left those two surveillance guys was, on one more day... I was going like, to say, like, can you imagine being relatives to that those family. people and being like, you mean had your shitty plan b not happened yeah. then like my family would be alive yeah 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 it's it's really like horrific it it makes it so much so much worse um so they saw that the two had been shot with a 22 caliber gun so now they're thinking okay he's still going at it and then the next morning uh because as we know he just doesn't take a fucking break there's another murder reported in sun valley Jesus. and this time yeah, it's like day after day after day. It just doesn't stop. So Chinarong Kovananth, Kovananth, age 32, was murdered while sleeping at around 4 a.m. And then his wife, Somkid, and their son were both sexually assaulted. 
Um, so this is another part to like trigger warning that it just conti- basically what you heard last week just continues throughout this week. So, mm. you know, FYI. So the suspect had been at the location for two to three hours. And it would later be reported that while the suspect was robbing the house, he asked the wife, Somkid, if there were any more valuables, to which she replied, no, I swear to God, before he interrupted and said, no, swear to Satan. Oh. Oh. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I swear to Satan. I, okay. Okay. Yeah. Jesus. Yep. Wow. He's full in on his um, devil worshiping situation now. Wow. On the porch, uh, they found a perfect Avia shoe print left behind. <laughs> I'm going to lose my fucking mind. Are you kidding me? And let me guess, nothing came from it. <laughs> uh, well, on August 6, 1985, during a police meeting about the evidence of the case, they got a call which notified them that an attempted murder had happened that night in Northridge where two people had been shot. So Chris and Virginia Peterson's house had been entered and the suspect went to the bedroom, shot Virginia in the face, then shot Chris in the head. But in both cases, the bullet didn't make a full impact and they both survived. Whoa. Like being shot to the head, they both survived. That's, that's, isn't he, this is the same guy who did the shot someone with the keys, right? Or was that a... Oh, yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. How is he having so many unlucky direct hits? Well, he's convinced that like he's being led by Satan and that, you know, his actions aren't even necessarily his own so he probably thinks it's some sort of divine wow plan i'm not sure but it's all bonkers Mm. so yeah they both survived um chris after having been shot in the head is miraculously able to chase the intruder out wow which is amazing like what adrenaline will do i was gonna say like that (laughs) is the human body at its finest right there for sure like fight or flight times a thousand Uh, So by this point, the police knew their suspect was reading the paper uh, because in the case of William Doy, where he had actually saved his wife's life by calling 911 before he died, the killer was now making a point of disabling the phones before attacking Ah. so that the family couldn't call 911 if they were able to get to a phone. Mm -hmm. So at least at this point, police are putting some pieces together as far as like, well, now we know he's following, he's keeping tabs on what we're reporting about him. So the news was well aware of this man, the serial killer by now. Um, and this is kind of an answer to your question last week about his moniker. Uh-huh. So he began to be referred to by various names, including the walk-in killer and the Valley intruder, but it was the Herald examiner who eventually called him the night stalker. Okay. And then that stuck. Yeah. Cause I remember asking last week if he, like that he had a that he was named the same thing someone else had already been named in some way. Yeah, I think one of my clues for Patreon was like secondhand, secondhand like a hand me down serial killer. The other again. <laughs> the other, yeah, because I was like, that's a really good point. So two days later, on August eighth, the Night Stalker hit Diamond Bar near Roland Heights, which was around five minutes away from Detective Carrillo's home. So mm. now it's getting like close to where he lives. Uh, the police arrive at the house of the Abbott Waths, where someone had entered the rear of the house, and in this case, they noticed that the killer had left a half-eaten honeydew melon behind. He's okay, but so also gross. DNA, right? DNA. If you're eating honeydew, can't they separate that? Uh maybe did they not even look for dna on this fucking melon oh my god did they have dna back then what year was this again 85 
Maybe. I don't remember. This might have been like right on the cusp of when DNA was like a commonly used when thing. When was DNA created? That was the stupidest question I've ever asked. Hang was- <laughs> <laughs> on. Hang on. When did okay, the police guess start what? using the- DNA? The first uh the first use was nineteen eighty six. The year before? After. After. Wow. Yep, 1986. When was DNA created? Uh, Siri, I'm sorry for what you have to deal with on a daily basis over there. (laughs) Okay, well. Yeah, so that's what I figured right on the cusp of, it was like the late 80s that it became, and that was the first time it was used in 86, so it wasn't even like widely, widely used at that point. Sure. It wasn't for years. Like the 90s is when like forensic files and all this business finally started like picking Mm -hmm. up steam. Okay. So honeydew melon, not going to be very helpful, unfortunately, except to point out how gross this guy is. Right. So Yeah. <laughs> um, of all things to eat, really? Honeydew melon? Whatever. Okay. So 35-year-old computer engineer Elias Abitwath was shot with a gun to the temple before his wife Sakina had been brutally raped. She would later recall that during the assault he would yell don't look at me don't look at me she said i swear to god i won't and he replied don't swear to god swear to satan yep well and also i mean i know you're gonna answer this later so you don't have to answer it now but is he does he not even want to do this he thinks that he's being forced against his own will because don't look at me okay he's having a good time okay got it I think he just kind of added this in as, like, just another, like, he's not delusional. Like, he doesn't really think, I mean, that's a fine line. Because I feel like he did have some thoughts, like, oh, my God, it's divine intervention that this person was saved. But I think only to the point that, like, we would think that. Of right. Like, okay, the universe has other plans. But I don't think he was, there was no, like, excuse of he was really in deep with the devil and had full on. Okay. I think he used that as part of his, like, persona and, like, maybe believed it to an extent. But this was all, like, his own. Okay. I just didn't know because don't look at me, don't look at me feels like he even he was ashamed or something. But, okay. Well, there there wasn't much in the documentary about why he would say that. I mean, my thought is always, like, you don't want someone to look at you when you're attacking them if you intend to keep them alive. Right. Right. That's, That's always my first thought is, like, if you look at somebody while they're attacking you, they're more likely to kill you because you've seen them and now you're a witness. Right. That's my first thought. But I mean, it could also be, you know, he was missing all his teeth. Maybe he was like, had issues about that or who knows. Um, sure. But wasn't really gone into in the documentary. So now we move 10 days later to August 18th. There was a man, 66 year old, named Peter Pan. And I'm sorry, what? There was someone named Peter Pan? Yeah, a 66-year-old man named Peter Pan. And, uh, well, I mean, and so it sounds like, oh, Peter Pan, but also Pan is a very common Chinese and Korean surname. So, okay, like, if you think about it. True. It's just somebody named Peter who happens to have, like, but unfortunately has that, that, you know, really common name, but pan it's not as it's not as fantastical as i'm imagining i guess yeah i think pan i mean i well i looked it up a little bit and it's it's a pretty common as far as i can tell chinese and current Mm. korean last name so um you add peter to it and there you go so he was 66 he was found dead in his home in san francisco he had been shot in the head and was found lying in a pool of his own blood holy shit his wife barbara pan had been raped and shot in the head but still had a pulse 
And from the crime crime scene, it was deduced that after the murder, the killer had opened the refrigerator, ate the food inside, vomited on the kitchen floor, and then masturbated on the living room carpet. What? Before carving a satanic symbol on the wall. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. Looney Tunes. Wow. So with this, like, very obvious MO, I mean, think about it. All of this has happened in, like, the L.A. area so far. Now we're in San Francisco. But it's so spot on to the MO that Glendale PD is like, all right, we're heading to San Francisco. So Mm -hmm. they pick up. They go up to San Francisco. And when they're up there, the media gets a sniff of how this serial killer has moved from L.A. to San Francisco and has been drawing satanic symbols on the walls. So newsrooms get, like, flooded with this information. And it gets to the point, this is another, like, you want to pull your hair out, where the mayor of San Francisco, Diane Feinstein, holds a press conference where she reveals all the confidential information that the police so far have begged media not to share, such as the shoe print and the size of the shoe print, firearms evidence like the 22 caliber gun, uh, as well as an updated sketch of the the person. So, So, Creo... And Salerno are livid. Like, they are pissed. Mm -hmm. Pissed. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Creo even confesses in the documentary that it got to the point where he, obviously, like, he didn't want more people to be murdered. But he was like, well, now we need more evidence. Because she just gave everything away. Um, And so they were just livid. Um, So his prayers, unfortunately, were answered because on August 24th in Mission Viejo, 29-year-old Inez Erickson said a man entered her house, shot her boyfriend, Bill Carnes, three times in the head and then (gasps) turned on her. Oh, my God. He told the woman that he was the night stalker and forced her to swear she loved Satan as he beat her with his fists and then bound her with neckties from the closet. What the fuck? I know. It's just like. Oh I don't know why Patch this it. is blowing my mind. Like, I know I know, none of this is good that's going to come out of your mouth. But it's just so all over the place. It's like Jesus. so chaotic and violent and back to back to back to back. Like, it just doesn't stop. Jesus. It's, it's awful. So after stealing what he could find, he dragged Erickson to another room. He raped her. He then demanded cash and more jewelry. Then he made her swear on Satan that there was no more. And before leaving the home, he told Erickson, tell them the Night Stalker was here. So clearly at this point, he's, like, leaving her alive to be the messenger. Yeah, he, like, wants people to know. He, like, now he's, like, all over this new nickname. And mm. he loves being, like, the scary villain. So he tells her, like, you know, tell the media I was here. And yikes. So, Which, like, realistically, he could have not, like, he could have just gotten away with it. I mean, I'm sure he gets away with it based on how the story already goes. But, like... <laughs> But like he could have still out there. No, he could have not said that, or he could have picked a different name or something and totally thrown them off track. Like it's like almost like he wants to get caught now. Oh yeah, but yeah, you're right. But it's like that classic serial killer. Like they, you know, embrace that like creepy name, and that's why so many times they say like, don't give them some like cool villain nick, super villain nickname because it's just gonna like enforce their ego. Yeah. so it's kind of like an iffy thing in my opinion but yeah so he was all about it i guess and said tell them and i mean at this point he probably feels like he's invincible right he basically is like he's done everything yeah he's probably wearing a new pair of shoes he's probably you know got got new teeth got new teeth (laughs) he's got new teeth he's walking around barefoot who knows 
So fortunately, there was, which sounds rough, but there was a young 13-year-old boy called James Romero playing nearby on his bike when he saw the car pull up. So he was able to remember a partial plate of the vehicle. Good for him. Uh, when, yeah, I was like, my dumb ass would have just not even. I'd be like, there goes a car. Faced. Especially at 13. Yeah. Like there goes a car faced. covered in blood. Anyway, back to my <laughs> cool skateboard oh, back trick. Back to my razor scooter. Back, yeah. back to my kickflip, my ollie. <laughs> So magically, this child remembers a partial plate, and uh, he remembers that it was a an orange Toyota station wagon. So they released this to the media because now they're like, well, we have a car, we have a sketch, like hopefully this will actually get somebody to say, I know that guy. Mm-hmm. So they release this to the media, and someone phones up saying they know their friend's car of that description had recently been stolen. So at least now they know, like, this car is stolen and where it's stolen from. And amazingly, the car was located in a downtown L.A. parking lot. And this time, they actually made sure to check it for fingerprints. They weren't like, here oh, you go. Bravo. Put it in a Put it on top of the sun and let it burn into right. dust, and then we'll see. Yeah. Also, but they like that's, to... that feels kind of stupid. Like, if you're gonna steal a car, why would you steal an orange one? Like, I, why wouldn't you steal the <laughs> the stealthiest car possible, not the most flashiest? That's a good point. Maybe he is just in that like jackass phase of like I'm unstoppable. Yeah. You know, I don't know. An orange station wagon really is probably the dumbest thing you could steal. You're right. There was a. Uh, in Fredericksburg growing up, there was always this, like, 1950s Chevy truck. Like, you you know, like, the vintage trucks with, like, the bubbly, oh, yeah. the bubbly kind of frame? I love those. It was lime green. And, like, you always <laughs> knew that that guy was wherever he was because no one else had that fucking car. Not, like, why, why, why would you steal something so clear and obvious? Anyway. I know. There's no explanation. No explanation. But, um, I mean, thankfully, it did let them know that you know they figured out whose car it was pretty quickly because he stole such a ridiculous looking car uh and so they found it in a downtown parking lot they were able to process it for fingerprints and they were able to pull a latent fingerprint off the rear view mirror where the suspect had reached up and adjusted it <gasps> wow so they were able to get a print from just him adjusting the rear view mirror um and investigators now had a live fingerprint but they weren't sure who it belonged to so with information about this Night Stalker having been revealed publicly, the police get another call on August 27th with more information. Hmm. A woman says her father, who hangs out by the Greyhound bus depot, had befriended an individual named Rick. Oh, God. An individual he thinks might be the Night Stalker. <laughs> Can you imagine so- just meeting someone and being like, that guy's a fucking serial killer? <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm just hanging out at the Greyhound bus stop and, oh, boy, this guy <laughs> shows up. Yeah. He gives off a real weird this vibe. This guy is a one of a kind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you must give off a real shitty vibe to be like that obviously a serial killer right <sighs> so yeah so they call she calls it she's like my dad like says he knows this guy named rick and who like clearly fits this description and he looks like the photo you or like the sketch you've put out all that good stuff and so Carrillo and salerno ver- venture out to speak to the father directly and he tells police that Rick, the guy he met, was from El Paso and had recently told him that he had committed a murder in Monterey Park. Cool, man. <laughs> what a fun fact. Such an idiot. He really Such is like, he's really going for the full jackass. Right? Like, look yeah, who I Yeah, he's am. like totally leaning into it at this point. Yeah. Um, And I mean, to be fair, he's gotten away with murder literally dozens of times. So it's like, yeah. at this rate, he's probably expecting to get away with it. Yeah. 
So the murder in Monterey Park was the murder of Dale Okazaki, which was the first one I talked about last week of where the the roommate had the keys, Maria, and then he went in and killed Dale. So that was the murder in Monterey Park. So in what seems to be the community gathering together to solve this crime in San Francisco, police informant Earl Gregg surrenders a bracelet he think might be linked to the Night Stalker case. So this is all kind of happening in different parts of California. Different people are coming forward and saying, like, I have a piece of this. I have a piece of this. So he gives this bracelet. He says, I received the bracelet from my wife's mother who lived in San Pablo, and she told police she had received the bracelet from her boyfriend named Armando Rodriguez. And Armando had gotten the bracelet from his friend from El Paso, whom she only knew as Rick. Oh. And she, they said, can you describe Rick? And she said, I don't really know anything about him except that he always wears a black ACDC hat. <gasps> get out okay i know and so now they have like same guy or name rick from el paso acdc hat this is starting to fit together Mm -hmm. murdered someone in monterey park yep so on august 30th armando finally revealed the name of the person they're looking for his name is richard ramirez basically this was armando's friend so he was like fine eventually he was like i'll give in and give up his name so Richard Ramirez, a man who had only been charged before with petty thievery and grand theft auto, but nothing violent. So he hadn't been charged with anything even close to the crimes they were now looking at. So with this information, the fingerprint of Richard Ramirez was matched to the print found in the car. They have their freaking guy. That's amazing. Finally. Jesus Christ. Finally, right? Okay. Finally, finally. So on August 31st, 1985, they start tracking down Richard Ramirez once and for all. And the place they go to is the Greyhound Bus Depot because they learned that he had a locker there. (gasps) So they're like, aha, he has actual stuff that he keeps at the Greyhound Bus Station. Oh my gosh. Okay. So at 8.15 a.m., surveillance around the bus depot was like waiting, lying in wait They are ready for Ramirez to show up, but they didn't really realize he had actually been in Arizona to visit his brother. So while police think he's going to be entering the bus depot to make a trip, he was actually returning from Arizona and like leaving (laughs) the bus depot, which they weren't expecting. They were like looking in the wrong direction, basically. So as soon as he arrived, Ramirez spotted the undercover cops straight away. So he walked out really quickly, darted to a liquor store. And he gets to the liquor store and he sees these newspapers and his fucking face is all over these newspapers. Wow. And so, I mean, I can't imagine the like full panic. Of, like, I know. Like, and seeing when's the next bus? When's the next bus? <laughs> Somebody get me back to Arizona. <laughs> yeah. So his face is all over these newspapers. He panics. He walks out. He jumps on a bus, actually, which oh. goes down Olympic. And his plan was that he was going to his brother's house, which was about eight miles away. But on the bus, he this is like out of a book. On the bus, he spots a passenger who was reading the morning paper and sees him. <laughs> and so the person is reading the paper about him and fucking notices him. Oh, my gosh. And is like, uh, he sees him referring to the paper, then looking up at him, then looking down and being like, oh, my God, oh like my that God. face of recognition. Yeah. And so the passenger gets off the bus oh. and Ramirez is like, fuck this guy's about to like he walks up to a payphone and ramirez is like oh my god this guy's calling the cops yeah so he jumps off the bus but what he didn't know is that way back at that liquor store 
The man who was working there had already flagged down a truck from the gas company and said the killer just got on that bus <gasps> because when he had wandered in the liquor store, the owner of the or the employee had recognized him and had already gotten like police on the case. Oh, my God. So he didn't even know he was already being tailed. So when he jumps off the bus, they're already like on the trail of this bus. Yeah. So Ramirez was chased down street several streets. He ran across the freeway, which in LA, like, amazed that you even survived. I mean, that. that's that's divine. That's a feat of all the things that, that's Satan's doing yeah, <laughs> for sure. That is definitely divine intervention. So he tries to carjack a car, but to no success. And this is like probably the most uh what's the word like redeeming part of the video because you see this mob of locals just like get together and start chasing him like beauty and the beast style like they're basically <laughs> coming at him with like pitchforks oh and they're chasing him down and uh he's running and running and running but he like gets exhausted and he gets circled by like just tons of people in the neighborhood and so all these local folks in this neighborhood are like surrounding him and then a police car pulls up and they basically citizens arrest him like they basically pin him until police get there which is just wild so he's arrested by like the entire city of los angeles or like at least a local neighborhood like takes him down um which is just wild so ramirez was brought back to hollenbeck police station and a lot of people had already gathered to like see him brought in because they knew what was happening and then they drove him to San Quentin State Prison, uh, and he was very excited, which is gross. Ugh. He was very excited to be put in the same cell as the Hillside Strangler. Oh, my God. So he felt like – I know. It's disgusting. Like, he felt like it was an honor. Um, and that guy's name was Kenneth Bianchi. I've not covered him yet, but I definitely plan on it. So uh, it was quickly discovered that Ramirez was a student of serial killers like Charles Manson, Ted Bundy, Hillside Strangler. So – he was basically like enamored with these guys and so when they put him in the cell uh they they were i guess they were trying to use it as a as a piece to butter him up to be like uh, let's get him on our good side we'll put you in the special cell of the hillside real, strangler that's actually you know? kind of that's kind of genius like let's put you with your it celebrity is. crush or like your yeah <laughs> wow isn't that cool like i'd be so bad at playing that part of like pretending to be buddy buddy with the serial killer but you know you gotta do it i guess sometimes Mm -hmm. so he's placed among a lineup and six-year-old survivor anastasia heronis who i talked about last episode identified him immediately which poor sweet girl six years old and has to a go through what she went through and then b has to stand there and like pick him out from a lineup so she immediately is like that's the guy yeah and so his trial began July 22nd, 1988. His court date, or his court, his trial was its own spectacle. Uh, <laughs> I he, bet. This is where some of the famous stuff happens. Like he raised a hand with a pentagram drawn on his palm, which is the picture we see a million times mm-hmm. everywhere, and said, Hail Satan. Okay. And then, like, this is kind of a weird, there are a couple weird things that happen that are like creepy. So. On August 14th, the trial was interrupted because one of the jurors, Phyllis Singletary, did not arrive at the courtroom. <gasps> Later that day, she was found shot to death in her apartment. <gasps> yeah. What? And the jury was terrified, wondering, like, had Ramirez somehow directed this from inside his prison cell? Like, were the other jurors in 
danger as well. Yeah. But it turns out that Ramirez was not responsible for Singletary's death. She had been shot and killed by her boyfriend, who later died by suicide using the same weapon. So just happened to be while she was on this court case. Massive court uh, case about a killer. Wow. Okay. Yikes. That's so terrible. So just really terrible, terrible timing. Obviously tragic. There was another... Here, let me pull this up. So this is weird. So Ramirez himself during the trial was... Like, I mean, unsurprisingly, I already mentioned how he just put his hand up and yelled, Hail Satan, but he was really erratic. He didn't, like, had no composure, basically. Uh, he was repeatedly warned to subdue his erratic behavior. Oh, by the way, this information about the trial is from Murderpedia, you know, my mm. favorite website. <laughs> um, and so he often joked along, like, with his counsel at the table while people while victims were testifying and sobbing i bet sobbing and crying and being re-traumatized and he's just like chumming it up yeah with his own lawyers who were like joking with him it was super gross which is also super Uh, gross about the lawyers like shouldn't the lawyers be like yo act like you fucking give a shit like you're not about to go to jail like yeah like they were called out for being part of this problem Mm. um which you're right is not even a good look for the case for their case like that doesn't seem like it's gonna go well for you um, so apparently he laughed a lot. He joked with his attorneys. He even cackled loudly, like, during testimony. Oh, my God. Yeah. And once he laughed loudly during a young widow's testimony, like, you know, he killed her fucking husband. Oh, my God. And uh, she, uh, several spectators were crying as she tearfully described how her assailant had raped and beaten her while her slain husband lay nearby. And he would, like, he started laughing and then he sneered openly at the prosecution and you can see like photos of the crime of um if he would look at photos of the crime scene that were being presented he would start smiling like every time they put up a new like extra horrific photo of a crime scene Mm. he would like smile in like satisfaction just awful just so gross um another kind of creepy thing that happened is that suddenly you know he was flashing these satanic symbols and saying like i follow satan and all this business and then all of a sudden all the court lights went out it was like turned off what and i know and the deputy marshals drew their pistols and told everyone to hit the floor and then they dragged ramirez out of the courtroom and like restarted the trial later but like nobody knows what that was about what the hell it, it may have just been like a weird power outage but like with his satanic stuff people were like extra freaked out as you would be you know and you know he's like like slimily laughing the whole time yes like even if he didn't cause it but like just at how perfect the timing was yes and you're you're right you probably did believe it was like another divine intervention like satan was here i mean ugh, ugh, sicko gross he would also stare down the witnesses at the podium, like, trying to fluster them, basically. Wow. Uh, he, like, knew, you know, obviously that fear was something he could control people with. Uh, the judge was like, fuck your mind games, and basically told, yelled at him to stop now. Yeah. And, of course, he didn't stop, and he tested the warning again, and he started, like, doing his weird glare. I mean, if you look him up, he's very scary looking. Mm-hmm. He did his, like, creepy glare slash stare at the at anybody who's testifying. And so the judge nodded to the bailiff. The bailiff physically yanked his head in the other direction. Oh, my God. And he grunted. So Ramirez grunted and at- leaped to his feet and attacked the bailiff for, like, moving his head. 
And within seconds, he was overcome by courtroom guards and they dragged him out to his holding cell. So it's just not, not an easy going guy in, no. in court. He's to get it together. Well, I mean, he's literally he's... a murderer, so whatever. <laughs> Come on, bud. What happened to you? Get it together. <laughs> Shake it off. Shake off your cares. <laughs> Shake it off. Cremate your cares, Shake... my friend. Oh, my God. Cremate your cares, my friend. The owl is waiting. Ugh. <laughs> the Walter Cronkite owl. <laughs> oh, my God. I will never get over that. So there were 165 witnesses who addressed the court. Most of them brought damaging testimony against the defendant and witness after witness for the prosecution had sworn under oath being like, that is the guy. That's the guy. I know it is under oath. That's him. I remember his words. I remember him cursing to the devil. Uh, I remember his eyes. They like full on knew it was him. No question. And weirdly enough, there was apparently a juror who had to be replaced after a week because they kept falling asleep during... (laughs) the proceedings which like how that man i must i didn't know i don't know if it's a man or not that person needs to be uh they need to go to a doctor for narcolepsy or something because like i can't imagine ever falling asleep as a juror but also like especially during this case like i don't i don't think that person had a choice that they were sleeping yeah that's what i was thinking too like it's probably not boredom it's like an illness i think they need to get checked out i think they need i think they're like overstimulated and their body's shutting down or something (laughs) yeah so it's just another weird uh situation weird so like i said there were plenty of survivors who testified against him and on september 20th 1989 ramirez was convicted of all charges which were 13 counts of murder five attempted murders 11 sexual assaults and 14 burglaries wow and then during the penalty phase of the trial on november 7th 1989 he was sentenced to die in california's gas chambers and he commented he commented to reporters big deal death always went with the territory see you in disneyland what the i knew about the see you in disneyland thing but I didn't know it was I didn't know it was him. I knew someone had said that, but I didn't know it was him. I didn't rem I like vaguely knew that, but I didn't remember it was him either. What the hell does see you in Disneyland mean? Like in paradise or something? I don't know. I don't know, I don't know what the hell that means. So, I don't know if it means anything. I I mean, he doesn't sound like a stable person and like no, I shouldn't no, far from it. I shouldn't try to figure <laughs> out what he's saying, but still I it's odd. Okay. Yes, uh that is definitely an understatement. Yes, he's very odd. Um, so I just want to add a couple of things here too. So years later, uh, his father maintained, even after he was put away, after all of this went down, maintained that Richard was a good boy, quote unquote, whose marijuana consumption is what put him out of control. Okay. Uh, sure. And they kind of, okay. So his father and some other people kind of blamed rock music, specifically ACDC and pot smoking for the behavior, which like. Well, okay. <laughs> wasn't this like during like the satanic panic of like sex drugs yes, and rock 80s. and roll and all that so mm-hmm. like rock and roll's dangerous pot will like send you to straight to hell yeah all this business so uh he often drew the five point pentagram on his own body uh he screamed hail satan regularly like i said even in open court he was a big fan of rock bands who sang about satanism particularly ECDC, whose album Highway to Hell was his favorite. Mm. And one song on that album, Night Prowler, contains the following lyrics. Ready? Was that a noise outside your window? What's that shadow on the blind? As you lie there naked like a body in a tomb, suspended animation as I slip into your room. Mm. And Night Prowler, Night Stalker. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine being ACDC and finding out that like you're like 
Yeah. Like this guy not only like loved you, but like was wearing your merch and shit. Like in, Yeah, and was like, like inspired by your lyrics. As an homage to you in the middle of killing. Like ugh. sick. If really any sick. if anyone out there listening to this has even a thought about doing something violent, please never wear our stuff. We don't and don't ever <laughs> blame it on us. We do not want you to well, do that. Don't ever think we we would condone it because we wouldn't. Okay, we don't just, want that. We just do like not want ACDC that. doesn't want Richard Ramirez murdering people. We don't want people either murdering people. We Sorry, do want so. you to um, adopt a lot of little animals, and we want you mm-hmm. to drink a lot of London fogs and also get vaccinated. Wine. So, like, wear our merch for that. You know, we have a lot of demands, and killing is not one of them. That's true. All right, that's true. Great. So, you know, obviously it's hard to believe that rock music and marijuana turns anyone into serial killer, but that was the, you know, 80s cliche, like you said. Um, So anyway, I just want to say, too, like a lot of that was from Stanford.edu and Murderpedia, Mm. my faves. And a lot of it was just like, you know, direct statements from there. So I want to point that out. And uh, so this is where things get kind of gross, which is basically that not surprisingly, there were some people who got completely swept up by Ramirez, who were in love with him. Uh, He had fans and wannabe lovers who were writing him letters and paying him visits. Beginning in 1985, Doreen Loy wrote Ramirez nearly 75 letters during his incarceration. And then in 88, he proposed to her. And on October 3rd of 1996, they were married in San Quentin State Prison. Oh, my God. And she was so – it's gross. She was so obsessed with him that for many years before his death, she stated she would die by suicide when Ramirez was executed. Oh, my God. Like, that's how infatuated. I don't know. It did not happen. Okay. Okay. (laughs) I don't understand why – you know, how could you understand? But – so she eventually left Ramirez in 2009 once he was tied. I mean, at least at least she has some standard, which is that he was tied by DNA evidence to the murder of nine-year-old May Lung in 1984. So once his DNA tied him to a murder of a nine-year-old girl, Loy was like, I'm out. Okay. So, well, I'm glad finally. something. I didn't know morals could fall all the way down there but i'm glad that you found there's one down there yeah. <laughs> that you could pick there's, up you found one great yeah. but it reminds me of his quote-unquote morals which was like i don't kill kids unless i have to you know Ugh, okay i will assault them and make you know ruin their lives but yeah i won't kill them because i'm a good guy Ugh, <laughs> like, okay oh whatever <sighs> so on april 10th 1984 richard ramirez took his uh this is backtrack Richard Ramirez has taken his first presumptive victim. Nine-year-old May Lung was beaten and raped before she was stabbed to death. Uh, this is bad. She was then hung over a pipe in the basement of her apartment in San Francisco. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. And uh, Richard Ramirez was not executed because on June 7, 2013, which sounds really recent to me, mm-hmm. uh, he died of B-cell lymphoma at Marin General Hospital, or Marin, I'm not sure, at 53 years old, he had been on death row for more than 23 years, and by some estimates, he would have been in his early 70s before his execution was carried out, if he had survived. Wow. So, anyway, that's the story with, like, another thrown-in horrible story right at the end there, but uh, that's the story of Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker, and I highly recommend the documentary. Um, it is so well done, so so scary. It really, really scared me, which, as someone who watches these for funsies for breakfast 
time. Like that's saying something. Uh, yeah. So. Wow. Check it out. Wow. I actually don't think I know what. My first two-parter. Your first two-parter. I'm so proud of you. Do you feel good about it? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it was great because I feel like since last week I was able to like ponder some things and like think about what you had asked about like his name. You get a, you get, you know, getting it's like that a, a redemption episode of like all your. Yeah. It's kind of like anything that was lost in translation get to clear up. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, that, that was fun. I'm Googling a picture of him just because I don't, I don't think I. Oh yeah. Google him. You know. <sighs> I, right? yeah. I mean, I knew I kind of had a vague idea of what he Ugh. looked like this. I'm, it's kind of like a vampire. He does look a little bit like a vampire. He, and it's so fascinating. Eventually, if I don't know if this is something that would interest you, but at some point you should do a whole episode on just the psychology of people falling in love with serial killers. Because like, I would love to do that. Because I mean, that happened with Bundy, right? I don't know if there's if it's happened. To, oh, yeah. If it's happened with Still. anyone else. But like, why? Oh, it happens all the time. Really? All the time. Yeah, well, uh, it's it's a really strange like I think typically what people think it is is um, like a savior complex like I can change uh, them. They would never do this to me is at least what I've seen most theories are. Ugh. But I think there's probably a lot that goes into that kind of thought process. I I it's something I'll never wrap my head around about like just no knowing what they. OK, well, whatever. Anyway, la, 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 la. That's just super <laughs> wild to me. But I would love an episode on that one day because I... That's a great idea. I would love to know at least even the statistics. If there's any, I don't know how you like survey that. But like it, it would be interesting to see how many people have at, had at least one person romantically yeah. obsessed with them, you know? That's a great idea. Well, I'll look, I'll look into like what is available yeah. for research if it's, on that. If it's something that's even like worth it. I know there's a lot of topics I'd like to cover, but there's just not enough information on it. So um yeah it sounds fascinating anyway thank you i'm proud of you for your your two-parter and this was definitely like a topic worth a two-parter you know you inspired me with your multi-parters <laughs> i inspired you by by a QAnon, so that's nice <laughs> we knew it would someday happen i just didn't know it would be that avenue that would take right. me to inspiration lane uh, well <sighs> uh Thank you to everyone who's listening. If you want to go check out any of our stuff, our social media is ATWW Podcast. We also have our website, and that's drink.com. You can send in your uh, listeners' stories, your personal listener stories, to either the website, and that's drink.com, or to, and that's why we drink at Gmail, and that's why we drink at gmail.com. Just to yes. go to, go with the, the the website. The website's the easiest it's safer. place. Yeah. And, um, also, if you do want to play the escape room, join Patreon. There's also some cool stuff on there outside of the escape room, but I just made it. So I'm most proud of that currently. And yeah, we, I just saw the, the Patreon newsletter is amazing. Oh, yeah. This, this month. It's really great. And, uh, yeah, that's it. And that's all I got. That's why we drink. In a fast paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.